0: Welcome to another episode of The Smug Buds, a good podcast where we explain everything to the geese. My name is Will, and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host, the Ramona Flowers of amateur podcasting, Elizabeth Deanna Morris-Lakes. Hi, Liz.
1: Hi, Will. I fully accept your compliment.
0: Hooray. (laughs) Another (laughs) successful nickname. How are you doing this fine Saturday?
1: I'm very good. Uh, You may uh, hear that it sounds a little bit like I'm whispering. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's because um, the baby is sleeping. Yes. (laughs) Do you know the reference I'm making?
0: I knew immediately that it was a reference, but (laughs) I can't place it in my mind.
1: So this is going to be a terrible description. But there was a person on Spontanea Nation who improved fairly regularly, who I can't remember who it was. Oh
0: right. And she
1: used to joke that her and her husband had a podcast called The Baby, the baby sleeping, is Sleeping. But they only recorded when the baby was sleeping. Right. But that said, uh, I looked it up once thinking it was real and it was not.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a good joke though, and a good title <laughs> and a good premise. Yes. Was it Annie Savage who made that joke? It
1: might have been Annie Savage. Uh, that sounds
0: was- right yeah there were there were some improvisers on that podcast who blended together one of the uh Jean viique and um others yeah that i didn't really know from other things so
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah r i p Nation uh podcast that uh you loved uh even more than i did
1: it's true and yeah. you're the one that told me about it
0: it's true I learned of uh I fell in love with the work of Paul F. Tompkins from hearing his appearances on the Comedy Bang Bang podcast. Mm-hmm. And then he spun off onto his own podcast, Spontane Nation. He had a podcast before that. Have you ever gone back and tried to listen to the Pod F Tom cast? <laughs>
1: no, but I remember when I learned that it existed being like so delighted.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I um I never really got into that podcast, but I love the premise. Mm-hmm. It's such a simple, elegant premise. the premise is it's nighttime on the internet <laughs> and I, that's um, om- almost as good as two smug buds who explain everything to the geese in terms of <laughs> simplicity
1: i I've said this to Paul F Tompkins on Twitter, but um I think it's worth saying again, which is that the night that elliot had night before Elliot had heart surgery um I went to bed as I normally do around nine thirty or ten. Mm-hmm. And I then woke up at midnight, and of course did not fall back asleep, right? <laughs> because my son's heart was about to be stopped for two hours while they after they cut his chest open. Mm-hmm. And what I listened to was episodes of spontanea Nation, because I knew because the part of the reason I love Paul f Tompkins so much is because he has never made me feel bad, and his <laughs> voice is nothing but comforting to me. And I thought I will listen to this. I will not feel bad, mm-hmm. and maybe I will fall asleep. Spoiler: I yeah. did not fall asleep. <laughs> I was that's awake nice. for twenty-four hours.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really nice. I I, uh, I I I I find it hard to think of someone who I can characterize that way. Like, I love listening to Paul F. Tompkins on podcasts. I love to you know see him. If I ever see him on TV shows or whatnot, or just hear his voice as, mm-hmm. uh, say, for instance, Mr. Peanut Butter or any of a bunch of other side characters on uh, BoJack Horseman. But um, I wouldn't go as far as to say that like he's never made me feel bad because there have been times where... Uh, he'll make a comment that just kind of makes me go like, "Oh, that's like, oh, you seem sort of bitter about that." Like that's <laughs> <laughs> that's I guess that's like, a little slightly off-putting.
1: Paul Tompkins has never said anything where I've thought like, um, like I'll give you an example. Not that Paul Tompkins would ever say this in 2019, though he might have sometime in the past because mm-hmm. he is like 50 now. Um, yes, I was exactly watching. 50. I was watching an episode of The L Word, and um. That was in 2004 and a character um, said an R word to mean that something Uh was stupid. And I just, you know, hearing words like used like that now, just Mm -hmm. like cut, you know, kind of feels like I'm getting cut a little bit. Um,
0: Yeah. You can also, if I, I think I know the word you're referring to and you can also uh, hear that word if you watch a a certain episode of Rick and Morty, a show that we've talked about on this podcast, uh, a show that I just learned Last night is uh, supposed to be returning for season four uh, in this calendar year, uh, specifically November. Yeah, Um, big announcement um, and uh, something that we'll have to talk about uh, maybe in uh, season three of the podcast.
1: I do. Um, I do have a small uh, segment I'd like to do.
0: Oh, yeah. Let's do a segment.
1: Okay, I like to call this. uh, How are the geese? Uh, Mm -hmm. In this case, the geese are the national. Mm -hmm. who gave us our tagline. That's right. On purpose or not. They just had an album come out. So that's what's going on with the geese.
0: I sort of half listened to it last night.
1: I have, I want to listen to the whole thing. I've been listening to the singles as they come out and have been thinking, I think I like this. Mm,
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I've, I've had a similar experience watching the YouTube videos, listening to the singles and, Wanting to like them, but being sort of skeptical. Uh, Dana uh, ordered the album, uh, a physical copy of it, oh. and it arrived yesterday. And then we happened to be going on a sort of long drive. But we were not alone. We had mm. company, and so there was uh, a lot of conversation in the car. Yes. Uh, but the album was playing in the background. So I haven't given it a full listen to uh, appreciate it. But as background music, uh, I, I would say that it served pretty well. And uh, oh, okay. uh, made, it. Yeah, it, it kind of encouraged me to uh, to hear it in that context.
1: I my final note on this and then we can talk about the actual podcast episode is that okay. ever since High Violet the two albums that have two albums that have come out since High Violet, right?
0: Uh Sleep Well Beast and Trouble Will Find Trouble Me will not find me. in that order.
1: Yes. Um have both lacked a sense of urgency mm. that I felt is what made that band, which is kind of a sleepy band in a lot of their songs. I feel Mm -hmm. like they've gotten sleepier.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. And yeah, I feel like that's a narrative that you can put onto a lot of creatives. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, maybe they have said everything that they have to say. And now they are kind of going through the motions without the substance behind the style that they have yeah or um, they have
1: like less restrictions because they're i've i felt this way i remember i felt this way even with like margaret atwood where i read like the handmaid's tale and then i read mm-hmm. cat's eye which had come out like years later and then i read a book that had come out like that year which at the time was like 2007 or something mm-hmm. and i just remember thinking they got like sloppier and
2: sloppier
0: yeah that's interesting. Margaret Cat, uh, uh, Margaret Atwood, uh, Cat's Eye is, is is the first thing of hers that I read. And oh. I've never gone back and read The Handmaid's Tale, um, but I, I soon might.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, it, th- this, yeah, so that's another sort of similar narrative that uh, you can impose on some musicians and some film directors and other creatives is that like, oh, in the beginning they had A lot of limitations on what they were capable of doing Mm -hmm. and that created you know like what's the phrase like uh necessity is the mother of invention It, Mm -hmm. it, it 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 created the need for a kind of resourcefulness that brought something special to the work and then the more successful they become the fewer limitations they have and that creates yeah like a sloppier uh product yeah, in, in, in poetry,
1: terms? specifically in, like, Ulipo, the um, the idea of giving yourself, like, a, a restriction is called a constraint. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, yeah, I think that a lot of really interesting – so, like, for example, you know, one constraint that you might think of, though this isn't related to Ulipo specifically, is, like, okay, well, if you're writing something in meter, mm-hmm. now you have the constraint of both syllables and yeah. emphasis with some – wiggle room and yeah i think and this is part of the reason why people thought free verse was just fucking stupid initially because they were like <laughs> they were like it's yeah. just all over the goddamn place and it was right. but,
0: yeah and weirdly i felt that way in high school because like my understanding of poetry was like oh i can understand poetry if i understand different forms yes and like then, and then the I, rules. right and then i encountered free verse and i was like what's the point like what <laughs> like you can do anything uh I I was weird and uh still am in different and sometimes the same ways. Um the, the the narratives for creatives that we're talking about, they they both fit very nicely with the career of a filmmaker who I've been thinking about a lot recently. Um Tim Burton
2: mm-hmm. who I've been thinking about
0: because I have been enjoying a podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David, and in recent months they've devoted a lot of time uh, on their podcast to the, the films of Tim Burton. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they talk about uh, both of those narratives in the context of his career. It's like, Oh, in the beginning uh, he really had something to say. And then, you know, in the back half and the more recent films seems like he's, he's, he's happy, like he's a Mm -hmm. happy person. And so like, what does he have to put into his art? And then the other thing is the constraints and, in the beginning you know uh a, a lot of uh, uh stop motion animation mm-hmm. uh that make his early movies uh really special and uh and then uh cgi became yeah. you know popular and and usable and uh uh and and then you get something like uh his version of alice in wonderland and mm-hmm. a lot of people think that it's like a mess and like hard to watch yeah <laughs> so so yeah so those those constraints can uh can be uh uh helpful.
1: But we're talking about a different filmmaker today, But right? we're going
0: to talk about a different filmmaker and which one is that?
1: Is his name Edgar Wright?
0: That is right. Yes, his <laughs> name is Edgar Wright. He's so uh, So this yeah, is one he, of the
1: episodes that I know very little about.
0: Great. So I think
1: I guessed one of the movies.
0: Okay, let's talk more about that. <laughs> so, my topic is Edgar Wright because he is my favorite film director. Mm-hmm. So, um right off the bat, what do you know or what do you think you know?
1: I'm guessing he directed Scott Pilgrim versus the World?
0: That's correct. Anything else? Finn? <laughs> Finn. <laughs> Finn okay um <laughs> do you know for example that uh he is a, a british man
1: oh i did not know he was british
0: yeah so he's a, he's a cheeky brit i would have guessed
1: canadian because of scott oh. pilgrim
0: well yeah well so yeah so that's interesting so so scott pilgrim is sort of a a uh uh i was going to say diversion yeah maybe that's the right word uh, a little bit of a detour in the middle of his career but if you looked at the technically still the majority of his films you Mm. would recognize oh deeply british yeah Um, i also know that that is
1: based off of a graphic novel just for the record i just want to say on the record that that's something i know
0: (laughs) well and 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 i intend to talk more about that yeah um so so at present so we're recording this may 18th 2019 uh at present uh edgar wright is the director of five feature films Mm -hmm. asterisk and the asterisk is that he would tell you, as I've heard him do in several interviews, <laughs> that technically he's the director of six feature films. But his first was so early in his life and his career that it's never had like a s- significant release. And if you mm-hmm. wanted to see it, like you can't. Like, mm-hmm. there's... As far as I can tell and I've tried and I've looked there's nowhere to watch it. You'd need and to like
1: become friends with Edgar Wright.
0: Probably or like <laughs> maybe there's some like library that you can check it out of or something like that but it's it's not widely available and so it might as well not exist. That film is a western called A Fistful of Fingers <laughs> and uh, it came out according to Google in 1995. Mm. Um Much earlier than uh, the rest of his films. So for the purposes of this conversation, Edgar Wright is the director of five feature films. The fifth and most recent uh, came out in 2017. Mm -hmm. Uh, I saw it in the theater uh, two times and it was my favorite movie of 2017. And sort of the context in which I want to have this conversation is and, and I sort of I. Uh, uh last episode we recorded was your episode about brand new. Mm-hmm, sure was. And, and after I uh, uh, listened, you know, I, I let you say your piece, then I slightly briefly uh, uh, sidetracked the conversation to talk about Desert Island Discs, the, mm-hmm. the five albums that you would take to the Desert Island, and that's all you can hear for the rest of your life. And I was sort of planting a seed that I'm going to pay off now, which is that I want to talk about Desert Island films. Mm-hmm. And the reason that Edgar Wright made me think of that is because as of 2017 and also still today in 2019, he's directed five feature films. Mm-hmm. And after I saw that fifth one, I thought like, you know, you know, I could come up with a list of my five favorite movies, but if I'm going to be on a desert island and I'm going to be, watching only these films mm-hmm. and he's made five and I can take five. Like I, I like I'm really open to the idea that like, I might just take his filmography to the desert Island because like <laughs> his five films are so they part of what I like about him. And this is where, you know, this ties into, you know, everything that I, I know about my own personality and my own preferences. And I've said before, and I'll say again, like, they really reward like you rewatching them mm-hmm. and like paying attention mm-hmm. because it's all like, it's very dense with, you know, uh, the, the screenwriters, uh, like number one rule of like you plant the seed and then you pay it off later. Mm-hmm. And so everything kind of happens twice mm-hmm. and everything kind of has like a callback or a reference and, so, uh, on and on and on. So, uh, I brought up Desert Island films. Before we get into the filmography of Edgar Wright, let's just do – the whole episode will be kind of a sort of argument of, like, me deciding, like, do I want to take to the des- Desert Island my five favorite films mm-hmm. or – All five Edgar Wright films, Mm -hmm. and maybe maybe I'll decide by the end of the conversation which one I would do. Mm -hmm. So so what are so what are the five? Do you you've had time to think about this? Do you do you have your own desert island films that you you want to share?
1: Yeah. So I I sort of talked to you about this off mic last week, and I said, "Oh, okay, Amelie, The Life Aquatic." I actually think that's fucking it, and (laughs) I and I know (laughs) that that's not five, but um. So Amelie is my favorite movie ever. Yes. I saw it when mm-hmm. I was 16. Um, yep. I decided after a few years that it was my favorite movie. And unless something incredible happens, I doubt that's ever going to go away. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it because it helped shape me. And I think it's beautiful. And it's like beautifully, like it's got beautiful filmography. Like it does a lot of great things with color.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou is my second favorite movie. I know you feel tenderly towards that movie as well. Um, I feel very
0: tenderly towards Wes Anderson.
1: Yes. Do you not like uh uh the life aquatic life.
0: as many times as I watch it, I always feel like I need to rewatch it again to like make sure that I appreciate it it's oh god so, it's like it's like it's not totally sticking in my brain
1: so I watched this movie every single day in April of two thousand and six. <laughs>
0: cool yeah
1: um and i think that's but i just i love it it feels different than other wes anderson films to me and i also know that he says i never should have made that movie it was too expensive
0: yeah yeah it's very ambitious do, do other people do this cuz you said you watched it every day for a month and i feel like i've occasionally heard of other people doing this but i i did this too where like i was on summer break i was probably 16 or something mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to watch the same film every day. Mm -hmm. And for me, that film was Donnie Darko.
1: Ah, yes. So I can say that at least other people do this in the sense that I wasn't the one putting it on. My friend Jeremy was. Oh, okay. Um, Who I also mentioned in the last episode. So this was in the middle of our tumultuous relationship or lack thereof.
0: Uh And
1: um, this was after he had cheated on me with a French horn player. And so he would... um, He would put it on. Is
0: that a player of the French horn or a French player of a horn?
1: <laughs> a player of a French horn. Hmm. Um, And she had some joke about somebody going to band camp and um, this girl. I was
0: going to say, if it, if it we're a horn player who was French, you might feel differently about then, Amelie today. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. But so the, the girl is like making out with a bunch of different people at band camp and then finally makes out with a French horn player. And... She's like, "That's it. That's the one I want to make out with for the rest of Bandcamp. camp." And they say, "Well, why?" And she says, "I like the way he held me." Mm-hmm. Do you get the joke? No. <laughs> French horn players have French horn players play by sticking their hand into the horn oh, and okay. using that to manipulate the sound. Yeah, so it's a vagina joke.
0: <laughs> it's a good joke,
1: <laughs> but um, so yeah, and and we just watched it every day, and it was like quoting movies was still a thing at that point hmm um but yeah and i don't i because i also like wes anderson but like i don't like his movies nearly as much as that one and i feel like the reasons i like that movie are the reasons that everybody else doesn't like that movie
0: that's interesting and i want to talk about that in a future episode no of the absolutely
1: and then number three mm-hmm. i and then i decided no i actually have a third movie that i definitely feel strongly about and that is a miyazaki movie Mm. And I was trying to figure out which one, because I was like, no, I definitely want to bring a Miyazaki, and I picked Spirited Away.
0: Okay, yeah. Kenny would have
1: picked Howl's Moving Castle, and I would have been okay with that if he was picking,
0: but... (laughs) I'm glad you steered the conversation in in that direction, and maybe... Okay, so I'm going to go through my thoughts on the Desert Island five films for myself, and... Maybe oh. some of this conversation... Oh, do you have a fourth? No.
1: Wait, my one no. small note is that there are other movies that are just as important to me as those movies, but they're not movies I would bring with me because they're from large series. So, like, I'm not, oh. I can't bring the entire collection of Star Wars. I don't need to bring one.
2: <laughs> but, I can't well, bring okay. every
1: Lord of the Rings movie.
0: Hmm. I could pick. I, 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 if I felt that way about those series, I would. I would pick one, but... But yeah, hey, so that's your, that's that. it's your it's your five. I'm not here mm-hmm. to meddle with it. So so my five definitely. I am taking an Edgar Wright movie, and mm-hmm. number one on my list is Scott Pilgrim versus the World. It's the only it's the one you've already brought up. Yes. Number two, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind.
1: Oh, you know what? That would have been on my list in high school.
0: Okay. Well, that makes me feel a little juvenile, but okay. No, well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh number 3, The Princess Bride.
1: Uh-huh. Did not watch that until like last year.
0: Yeah, and so I'm I'm pretty darn certain about those top 3, and then mm-hmm. this is where I get a little bit less certain. Mm-hmm. Number 4, I feel like this this is like a category film where I like like you were saying, like you you can't pick between the Star Wars or the uh, Lord of the Rings. I feel I have to pick between the Marvel movies that we talk so much about, and uh, so number yes. four for me is Spider-Man: Homecoming because. Wow. That's my favorite right now of those Mm -hmm. films. And then number five is where it gets really tricky because it's like, okay, I can tell you what my fifth is when I think of the movies that I love and have loved for a long time. And I know that rewatching them has like a real value to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, well, I brought up Tim Burton earlier, it's actually his first feature film and it's Pee Wee's Big Adventure. (laughs) So okay. I think that's I think that's number five on my list. But uh, if I say that that's number five, then I, I I mean I'm leaving off tons of things. But the the things that come to the forefront of my mind are I'm leaving off Wes Anderson, mm-hmm. and I well, don't. Well, we're like there
1: together. Then we can watch The Life Aquatic at least.
0: Right, exactly. <laughs> but if I'm if it's truly a desert island and I'm there by myself, I don't mm-hmm. like the idea of never being able to watch a Wes Anderson movie again. Yeah. If I had to pick one of his, I it might be Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise
1: Kingdom was great.
0: Yeah. And then if I choose that for that fifth slot and also if I choose pee Wee Big Adventure, the other thing that I'm leaving off and I'm glad that you brought up Miyazaki is mm-hmm. that I I don't have any animation on this list. Right. And I I don't like the idea of living without that. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I think of, well, if I need animation, what would I put in? I think of two things. I think of Miyazaki and I think of Pixar. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, well, my favorite Pixar is Finding Nemo. So maybe I would put, why are you making that face? Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) That's a beloved movie.
0: Yeah. (laughs) For good reason. And then um, I, Miyazaki, that's uh, tough. I would not bring Howl's Moving Castle. I would not bring Spirited Away. Um, I think the most recent one I saw was Kiki's Delivery Service. That one's cute.
1: I like that, that one. I really but I really loved it. It's it's really cute. I really like that one. Um, but then, I, like, I like it too because it's like... She's skilled, but, like, it's not like, oh, she's not skilled, and then she is skilled. She's, like, not good at flying, and she's like, I'm literally only good at flying. And you're like, Uh she's, like, not good at flying.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then, like, on the, uh, like, kind of other end of the spectrum, um, like, I really loved The Wind Rises. The Wind Rises is beautiful, but so sad. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's very sad, and it, um, it does not have that, you know, cute... You know, childlike magic of a Kiki or a Totoro.
1: He puts in the dream sequences, which get to do some of the stuff that you expect from a Miyazaki movie. But yeah, Yeah. there's not like, it's not like Ponyo where like Ponyo Mm -hmm. is like transforming between fish and girl so seamlessly you almost don't even notice it happening until suddenly you realize that she's like tiny again, which I've had nightmares about. Not um, that, but babies suddenly becoming very small.
0: Sorry, I'm distracted because there's a car parked in my front yard. Wait, I'm your not, yard?
1: Oh, wait, I guess you don't really have a yard.
0: Yeah, it's, it's an Arizona version of a yard. I'm not really expecting uh, anyone. Um, so I res- obviously, I reserve the right to change my mind in the course of this conversation mm-hmm. or you know, later today or the rest of my life. But just yep. for the sake of establishing what we're talking about, I'll say my five mm-hmm. are Scott Pilgrim, Eternal Sunshine, Princess Bride, Spider-Man Homecoming, and Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a pretty solid five. Yeah. Um, okay, so now let's talk about the five films that Edgar Wright has made. Mm-hmm. Um, you identified kind of an outlier in Scott Pilgrim. Mm-hmm. Um, his first, uh, again, for the sake of this conversation, the first of five, um, is a uh, 2004 movie called Shaun of the Dead. <gasps>
1: Oh my God, I know more about him than I thought.
0: Okay, yeah. So, and if you know anything about Shaun of the Dead, then you might be able to extrapolate uh, what, you know, one or two of his other movies are. Uh-huh. Um, because uh, Shaun of the Dead would turn out to be uh, kind of the first of a trilogy, not uh-huh. literally, but uh, uh, in spirit. Um, so, uh, have you seen Shaun of the Dead?
1: Yes. And can I tell you my favorite joke about Shaun of the Dead that okay. is not like about? Well, okay.
0: yeah. I, so
1: I saw it with my ex boyfriend, Josh, and Josh wrote a, um, uh, I also brought him up in last week's podcast episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Josh wrote a movie, a short film called Z Day, um, mm-hmm. which I was in. I was his, um, uh, his, uh, muse in the, the movie. And, uh, you can still see this. <laughs> it's on Vimeo. <laughs> Okay. But at one point, they were trying to figure out how to get to the car because there's a bunch of zombies everywhere. And yeah. um, somebody suggests, we could just pretend like we're zombies. And Josh's character says, no, that only worked once and in Britain.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, well, yeah. So that's that's the kind of homage uh, that you might see in, in a Shaun of the Dead. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like the title implies... It's a comedy version of a zombie movie, right? Mm-hmm. It's a not only a comedy but it's, it's sort of a romantic comedy
2: mm-hmm.
0: with zombies in, inspiring the the subgenre of the uh of the com, the mm-hmm. zombie rom- romantic comedy. So, um here here's my history with this movie. Uh first thing I remember, so I would have been 14 when it came out. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing TV commercials for it. I remember thinking the title was really funny.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Shaun of the Dead. Why didn't anybody come up with that before? That's mm-hmm. so clever. But I was not going to see it uh, because too scary. <laughs> uh,
1: oh, baby Will. Baby well, Will.
0: yeah. Well, yeah. And very much so. And growing up, I never had any interest in horror movies or mm-hmm anything that i thought was scary it's not until pretty recently that i have shown any interest in that mm-hmm. so i would not see anything that seemed uh scary or gross uh because i had a a delicate uh catholic, good catholic boy uh disposition mm-hmm. and uh so When I did see Shaun of the Dead, it was with a group of my peers in high school. And I mean, we actually watched it at the high school. (laughs) Um, uh, There was a club that I was not a part of. And I can't remember now what it was. It was either a uh, film club or maybe even like a comedy club or something. Mm -hmm. But whoever they were, they were like we're going to screen Shaun of the Dead after school. And it was, like, an open invitation to, like, anybody could come and watch. And I was like, okay, I'll stay after school. I'll watch this movie because I think the title's funny. And if I watch it in this context, like, it's not the same as, like, seeing it in the theater. Like, if it's too scary, it's, you know, not, uh, you know, it's in a brightly lit place. Yeah. (laughs) So. Uh so I uh watched this movie. That was my first exposure to uh Edgar Wright. Uh and I did not like it.
2: Oh,
1: really?
0: Yeah. As I said today. But you were present,
1: excited for it.
0: I thought the title was very funny.
1: <laughs> I what was a not a
0: thing. I was not like excited to see it. I was not uh-huh. like, oh, this this'll be great or this will be right up my alley. I was like, funny title. I've never heard of these people. I, I don't like zombies or scary or gross stuff. Um, and, uh, I, I, and as I said today, the Edgar Wright is my favorite director, writer, director. Uh, I saw this movie and I was not, uh, I w I must've been 14 or 15, I think. And I was not sophisticated enough for it. Mm. Um, I uh, kind of, yeah, actually I'm glad I I'm glad we brought up free verse because mm-hmm. this actually this sort of goes along with like where my head was at at the time like I had a very like rules based like programming yeah and, I
1: that that reads
0: <laughs> yeah and I had this like sort of like strict standard for like how like narratives were supposed mm-hmm. to be and it's like it's it's sort of like grammar, like The like like the way I was talking about grammar is mm-hmm. like, oh, there are rules, like, and if 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 I catch you breaking the rules, then like I can seem smart yeah. by like knowing the rules better than you do, and so like yeah, like my standards were like, you know, uh, it, not just rules focused, but like genre centric. It's like, and so like when I saw something that was like a a severe mashup of different genres. My take on it was like, this movie like can't stay in one lane. It's yeah. like, it doesn't know what it wants to be uh-huh. because it's funny. But when it gets serious, it gets so dark and mm-hmm. so serious. Mm-hmm. And uh, so later I rewatched it with a more sophisticated palette and I came around to loving it. And now I am living in this middle ground where I appreciate that film. I love Edgar Wright films. And also at the same time, to a lesser degree, I actually like have some of the same problems that I originally had with it.
1: Oh, that's very funny.
0: And that's why by the end of this, don't let me forget, I, uh-huh. I'm i going to rank his five movies. Mm-hmm. And that's, and, and that, you know, I'm sort of alluding to the fact that Shaun of the Dead is not very high in my, in my rankings.
2: Um,
0: And so, okay. So, so the story goes, as I understand it, that, uh, so Shaun of the Dead comes out and it's like, um, you know, it's not a blockbuster, but it's like a surprising sort of hit. It like Mm -hmm. does well enough that it's like, you know uh uh you know the the there's there's uh, some positive attention for mm-hmm. for uh so I Edgar Wright critically uh, acclaimed perhaps critically acclaimed certainly and so it's like oh what are these people going to do next um and uh Edgar Wright uh, directed it and he co-wrote it with Simon Pegg who is the star who is the titular Sean of the dead mm-hmm. um and his his main co-star is Nick Frost who is yes. like his sort of uh sidekick is sort of a diminutive word, but his his, buddy. his his comedy partner.
1: If it's like a zombie buddy show, then uh so
0: so it's like Edgar Edgar Wright is not a performer, right? So like the writing the creative writing partners they mm-hmm. are Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright. Right. And then the like performing partners are uh Simon Pegg and, and Nick Frost. So so I think the story goes that uh in the aftermath of uh, Shaun of the Dead coming out and, um, them getting some acclaim. Mm-hmm. Somebody at like a party, uh, came up to Edgar Wright and said, This is your next movie. And handed him, or at least described to him, if not literally handing it to him, mm-hmm. uh, a copy of, uh, Scott Pilgrim. The, the first uh, book in the Scott Pilgrim series. Yeah. So so Scott Pilgrim begins as a series of graphic novels that are very mm-hmm. uh, manga inspired. Yes. Um, written, written and drawn by uh, Brian Lee O'Malley. Mm-hmm. So Edgar Wright gets this recommendation like, this is great. You'll love this. This is up your alley. You should adapt this. Mm-hmm. And he, he reads it and, um, and, uh, you know, latches on to uh, that idea. Um, and he would make it, but it would not be his next film. Mm-hmm. Um, his next film is the second in the trilogy that I alluded to earlier. Uh, and that film is from 2007 and it's called Hot Fuzz.
1: Right, which I have not seen.
0: Okay, so you haven't seen Hot Fuzz. Yeah, do you do you have any recollection of it? Do you have a general idea of what this movie is?
1: Uh, is it about police?
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> that's my so recollection. They, s- and it's so got pl- it's got Simon Pegg and yes. um, what's his Frost name?
0: Yeah, Nick Frost. Nick so, Frost. Nick so Frost th- sounds
1: like a a fake name. It sounds like Jack Frost's cousin, and they make a movie about. Like, you thought you knew Jack Frost, but do you know Nick Frost? And he's like, hey.
0: I think you're talking about a spinoff to Fred Claus, (laughs) which was a real movie (laughs) where Vince Vaughn plays Santa Claus's brother. Oh, my
1: God. Yeah.
0: So um, Nick Frost and Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright are the through line through this trilogy, Mm -hmm. which I'll just name it. I've been... Holding back from using the name because it requires an explanation, uh-huh. but uh, it, it, it's, it's referred to as the Cornetto trilogy.
1: I have heard that word, strangely enough.
0: Yeah. So, so the through line is Edgar Wright directs these movies. He co-writes them with Simon Pegg and they star Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. And mm-hmm. it, they are all comedies. They're all comedies that are kind of spoofing uh, another genre. Mm-hmm. And uh, they all have an appearance by an ice cream brand popular in the UK called uh, Cornetto. There we go. Okay. And uh, each one has a different uh, flavor of Cornetto (laughs) that is a different color. (laughs) And this is a reference to... And this is where my, you know, pretension of being a film buff is Mm -hmm. totally like... Tested and I fail and it's deflated, but the, it's it's a reference to something called the Colors Trilogy, mm. um, and I'm googling that now because I <laughs> this is uh, I this is where my knowledge fails. I, I no, oh, you mean because you
1: didn't like make a 19 point outline or pre record the podcast by yourself first?
0: <laughs> that's true. I didn't do any of that preparation that you're prone to doing, and also I don't have the extensive knowledge of film history that I wish I had. Uh-huh. Um, I just Googled it. The Three Colors Trilogy is the collective title of three films directed by Krzysztof Chris... <laughs> huh. two made in French and one primarily in Polish, uh-huh. and the films are called Blue, White, and Red. Um, oh, OK. So the the three films in the Cornetto trilogy. So up to this point, we've had the one with the red Cornetto, which is yeah. Shaun of the Dead, where it's zombies. And so there's lots of blood and there's mm-hmm. a lot of um, everything is specifically color coded so that if it's important, it's sort of like white with a red accent, mm-hmm. like Shaun's uniform that he wears throughout the film. Uh, and then hot fuzz is the blue one because they're cops. Mm -hmm. And so if, if, uh, Shaun of the Dead was like a take on zombie movies, then hot fuzz is like a take on action movies with like cops as the heroes. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, the, uh, premise of hot fuzz is basically, um, okay. So, so one of the things that's interesting about these movies Is that they don't, in my opinion, they don't get stale. And one of the reasons that they don't get stale is that even though you're seeing the same people, um, they're playing, like, markedly different roles. Mm -hmm. And you would think that, like, because you're used to seeing, like, oh, I, I saw, you know, Seth Rogen and James Franco in a movie. Mm-hmm. And they played this one type of role. And now they're reuniting for this n- next movie and I'm like I know that they're going to play like a very similar type of role. Like, mm-hmm. They're going to be very similar characters. In Shaun of the Dead, Shaun and his buddy played by Nick Frost are both like burnouts right mm-hmm. they're like total slackers they're very juvenile they're like they they're in a state of arrested development mm-hmm. and that ties into the themes of like the dead are coming back to life and like you know can you you know uh can you grow you know can you face you know reality and and grow up or are real you quick gonna, or you, or are you gonna stay the same forever mm-hmm. um and and in hot fuzz Um, Nick Frost plays a similar comedic type where he's kind of the big dumb guy. But Simon Pegg plays a foil to him where Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the film, they don't know each other. And uh, Simon Pegg is this like very serious overachiever by the book cop. Ah. And then he gets sent as a punishment, basically, or as like an early retirement Um, He gets sent from London to a very small sleepy town Mm -hmm. where he meets Nick Frost and all the other cops. They're just, you know, they, they, you know, put their feet up and and they don't live up to Simon Pegg's character's very high standards. Casually
1: twirl their nightsticks.
0: So they're foils to each other. And then you see them as you see a bond grow between them where Mm -hmm. they, they, uh, you know, spark up a friendship and mm-hmm. and and simon pegg learns to relax and and nick frost take learns to uh take things more seriously um hot fuzz is um a, uh it's about two hours long as opposed to Shaun of the dead's one hour and 40 minutes mm-hmm. um and uh i don't uh I, i'm not gonna talk too much more about this one because i i don't have uh Unfortunately, I don't have a memory of when I first saw Hot Fuzz. I didn't, I definitely didn't see it in the theater, but I also didn't see it at like a club meeting at my high school. (laughs) I just, I just must have caught it on Netflix once. And by that time I could appreciate Edgar Wright and Mm -hmm. I liked it right off the bat. Um, and the only thing that kind of put me off of it is that there are some, um, death scenes and some of the, some, so like in Shaun of the Dead, like it's a zombie movie, like even though it's a comedy, it's still a zombie movie. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that there's going to be gore and like, it has to happen. Mm -hmm. Whereas like in Hot Fuzz, it's like an action movie. So yeah, of course it's going to be violent, Mm -hmm. but does it have to be like, gory not yeah. necessarily so when there is some like gore it's kind of off-putting to me there's one scene in particular where like a uh somebody uh a mysterious figure pushes like a loose spire off of the top of like a church mm-hmm. And then it lands on a guy's head, and it lands like so perfectly so that it's like pointing down, oh God. and so like basically his head explodes, and then his head is like replaced with it, sort of yeah, um pyramid and head. it's it's That's a, a, a very Silent hill ar- ar- reference, <laughs> yes, yeah, it's a little bit like in like a pointing down pyramid head mm-hmm. and uh yeah, it's a very arresting image, and uh one that I kind of wish was not in the movie, but <laughs> so um. Then, interestingly enough, the the next Edgar Wright movie is not the third movie in the Cornetto trilogy. Mm-hmm. This is the point in his career when we get Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Mm-hmm. Scott Pilgrim comes out in 2010. Mm-hmm. 2010 is a moment uh, in my life when I, so I was 20 years old. So I was in college, Mm -hmm. but I was I was not so far removed from high school yet Mm -hmm. that I wasn't uh, in touch with some of the people I went to high school with. So, uh, you know, I would go home to New York for like Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's and spring break. And on one of those breaks, I made an arrangement to meet up in the city with one of my friends from high school and uh i think we probably went to uh an applebee's yep uh and uh and then we were like what do you want to do well like we could go see a movie and so like what's in theaters and like okay like the the thing that looks most interesting to us is scott pilgrim versus the world Mm -hmm. at that time i was not so aware of edgar wright that i was the fan that i am today mm-hmm. so to me it was not like the new edgar wright movie it was like right. i've seen commercials for scott pilgrim and i'm like okay i recognize michael Sarah. yeah love that i'm guy. a big yeah because i'm a i've been a fan since the arrested development days and and you know he was in juno and so people already mm-hmm. knew him as like a movie star and um
1: and, the other big movie that he was in was um that pineapple movie. The, every, or no, no, express? no, sorry, not pineapple express. Super bad. He was in super bad. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, super bad. Yeah. And when totally. super
1: bad came out, it was like, Michael Sarah's back from arrested, like, <laughs> like, arrested development is over, but like, here's Michael Sarah again. And so when Scott Pilgrim came out, it was like, oh god, like, we get Michael Sarah again.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So I was, I was not so, uh, excited to see Michael Sarah in a movie that I was automatically like, I'm definitely going to see this. But mm-hmm. like, that definitely, that did make me more receptive to it. And I, I just, I remember the commercials and I remember the commercials making it look like, like, that's weird. Like, what I, like, I don't think that I will like this. It looks like a, it looks too like, uh, goofy i don't know i i mm-hmm. mean i like some goofy silly stuff but but I, something about the commercials was off-putting to me the tone of them i guess mm-hmm. it's hard to get the tone of an edgar wright movie into a commercial a trailer it's, yeah. yeah and it's and i'm gonna say it's the harder it's even harder with the with the next movie mm-hmm. even harder than scott pilgrim much harder than because son of the dead you can sell like it's like a funny zombie movie and like mm-hmm. the the name Shaun of the Dead, like it sort of implies to me like, uh, the, you know, like all the movies that have come out like and weirdly not stopped coming out, but at least now we never hear of them. You have to like look them up in the wake of Scary Movie where oh, like yes. s- scary movie became like a genre yes. where where like, you know. And and they don't, and and for a while it was like action movie, date movie, superhero movie. And now it's like, they don't necessarily have that branding, but like they still exist. Like, like there's like a Twilight parody and it's called like Breaking Wind and Mm -hmm. like movies like that. Breaking
2: Wind. Jesus Christ. You (laughs) might
0: think that Shaun of the Dead is that level of like, okay, it'll be that kind of a spoof of a zombie movie. Um, and you could sell it that way, but you, you wouldn't be selling what it actually is, which is the thing that I reacted to kind of, well, pretty much negatively in high school, which is like, Mm -hmm. um, in addition to being a really funny comedy, it like really, it wants to tell you a, a, a story about, uh, this guy and his girlfriend and whether they're going to split up or get back together and also, spoiler alert! I should have said this forty, fifty minutes ago. Yeah. Spoiler, alert, spoiler alert for all of these movies. Uh-huh. And 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 obviously, I think you should see them, and you should see them all. And they're all worth seeing. So mm. so take that spoiler alert maybe a little seriously, a little more seriously than I would normally uh, mean it when I say that. Mm -hmm. um sean has to like sean's mom dies and turns into a zombie and then he has to shoot her in the head like that's yeah that's that's the the moment where it goes like yeah it goes to a territory that you don't you're you're not necessarily prepared for Mm -hmm. okay so uh, scott pilgrim i was okay so this is this is my favorite right Mm -hmm. so this is my this is my favorite movie by my favorite director Mm -hmm. therefore it's it's you know, an obvious contender for a favorite overall movie movie. And it's, yeah. it's, it it's definitely in the top three if it's not number one. Um, so you, you've seen Scott Pilgrim, correct?
1: Yes. And in fact, I saw Scott Pilgrim almost at the exact time you saw it because I saw yeah. it the first week that we got back from winter break. Mm-hmm. So I saw it, um, at Susquehanna. I saw it with Kenny
2: mm-hmm. and I
1: saw it, um, at that theater, the, in Sealands Grove. I don't even remember, yeah. like, AMC or whatever. I and I remember we went to go see it because I feel like I had seen some place. I mean, I think it was, like, I was like, Kenny, there's this, like, Michael Sarah movie, and I like Michael Sarah a lot, and I feel like it's, like, somehow related to video games, mm-hmm. and um, I think we should see it. And he was like, okay, like, it's the first week back. We don't have any homework. Let's go to the movies. Yeah. So we went, and I – um Remember, just be like, okay, describe my face in a second. This is what I looked like the whole movie.
0: Yeah. It's shock.
1: I just was like, my eyes were wide.
0: At Mm -hmm. the very
1: early in the movie, he goes to the bathroom and the fairy fountain theme music is playing from Zelda. And Mm -hmm. I just about lost it. Right. like zelda's my favorite video game i was like i can't i I was like does everyone else know what the song is right yes um and then and then i and it was so weird and i i just loved it and then um yeah and it made me feel incredibly nostalgic something you might talk about but i'll just say very quickly is that watching that movie in 2010 made me feel incredibly nostalgic Mm -hmm. when it was um for a time that was maybe like two years behind me, I rewatched it recently of my own accord like this year and mm-hmm. was like, oh, my God, that's that was the life I was living. Like the uh-huh. haircuts, the, t- the band T-shirts, the yes. like belts. Yeah. It was a lot.
0: So, the, the Yeah. <laughs> God, this is one of those podcast moments where I have a million things that I want to say at once and mm-hmm. it's hard to prioritize. But so like r- rapid fire like yeah, music is really important in all of his films. Um something like the fairy fountain, it's like a reference, it's like an easter egg and the movie like all of his movies is dense with that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> it kind of it reminds me of um did you ever see Everything is a Remix by Kirby Ferguson? No. So it's this. I'll, I'll include it in the show notes. It's, it's this series of videos that you can watch online. Um, I would use it when I was teaching and and show my students and and um, be like, look, like what is uh, plagiarism and what isn't, and uh-huh. and it's 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 all about like how like you know it's it's counteracting the popular narrative of like creative genius and like originality by like demonstrating to you like oh like creativity is actually like necessarily dependent on copying and mm-hmm. combining mm-hmm. and you know reworking existing things and so everything is a remix and um it, and that watching that video opened my eyes to like oh the the filmmaker who has the reputation for doing that the most is Quentin Tarantino. So like, I think you could, you could fairly make the comparison of like what Edgar Wright is trying to do to like what, uh, Quentin Tarantino is notorious for doing, Mm -hmm. which is just like knowing so freaking much about (laughs) films and movies and loving them so much that like, every detail like every shot every musical sting Mm -hmm. like it's all a reference to something and it's and 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 it and it's not just reference for references sake but like this is this you know this is supposed to evoke the same emotion as that or like you know these films are like thematically tied together or or something like that so yeah um W- seeing Scott Pilgrim in the theater, it was a unique movie. Go! I had a similar reaction. It was, it was pure joy from start yes, to finish. Absolutely. It was, uh, what, what one thing that's unique about it is I, I don't think there's ever, uh, ever been another time when I, uh, knew I was going to love a movie before the first shot (laughs) because even before the first shot of the movie Mm -hmm. you get the universal logo Uh and the universal logo is done over in like an 8-bit or maybe 16-bit style and you hear the music you hear the universal music you're familiar with but it's like a chiptune video game version Uh of it and that ties into my point that like okay i i love video games i always have I think Scott Pilgrim is the best ever video game movie, despite the fact that it's not based on a video game. Yeah, it's exactly. Based on comic books, but <laughs> it is so tied to the aesthetics of video games yeah. that, like, it's the best example of like how how do you like translate video games into like a film medium. Okay, so it's based on the comics. I was not familiar with the comics. Mm -hmm. Later, I appreciated this movie so much that I picked up the graphic novels. Have you read any, Scott Pilgrim?
2: I
1: haven't. I would like to. I know one detail about this, and maybe I'm stealing your fire by staying this. Please Um, do. So Sal Payne, who we've brought up a few times before in this podcast, um, loved these books before the movie came out and then loved the movie. Great, And something that he, I remember him saying once in some medium, probably on the internet, was that um, when you are reading the graphic novels at the top, there is um, like notes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And that
1: those notes. Musical notes. Musical notes, yes. Yeah, because yeah, Scott not,
0: Pilgrim's in a band.
1: Yes. And that those notes are actually, like, are actually the songs that they play. Right. Yeah. Which is like. Yeah. I mean sort of the most incredible like Kenny and I talk about a lot about how we're pretty forgiving to adaptations and I think yeah. that that's one of the strongest like adaptation what, moves that I've ever seen in my life.
0: <laughs> that's what I wanted to talk about. I wanted okay. to talk about Scott Pilgrim as uh, an example of adaptation. So so okay <laughs> just but first thing I I was trying to get this out earlier but I haven't mm-hmm. fully gotten it out. Mm-hmm. The big grain of salt that you have to take when I talk about these things, When mm-hmm. I w- same with anyone, I guess, when you say like, when somebody says like, this is the best, this is my favorite, like you can go like, okay, but have you seen this? Mm-hmm. And like, in my case, the answer is like usually going to be no. Like, mm-hmm. I, I like to present myself as like a sort of film buff and a movie lover. Yeah. But like, I... I haven't been paying attention for very long and I had that, you know, adolescence where like I was, I didn't like scary stuff. I didn't like boring stuff. Like I mostly just wanted to watch cartoons and stuff that made me laugh. Mm -hmm. And so like it's, and and also it's by virtue of the fact that like, like I was born in 1990. And Mm -hmm. so like, there's a lot of films that are like important that are, that are like, that have always been like films that I won't see because like, when am I ever going to watch them? And they're yeah, like, when am I ever
1: going to watch gone with the wind? When they're am like ever for grownups.
0: Yeah. And, and I want to, I, I, at today, like when I'm, you know, 29 and, and I, I, I genuinely want to, and I want to have that knowledge and and background, but, a lot of the things I haven't gotten around to seeing, you know, Shaun of the De- I'm talking about how like Edgar Wright and Quentin Tarantino, they like load with references. It's like mostly like you and I are very lucky to like like oh yeah, we recognize the fairy fountain theme from Zelda, mm-hmm. but like it- watching Shaun of the Dead, like there are probably one million references that I don't get. Yeah, I just enjoy Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, <laughs> but like, unfortunately, truthfully, like I can say like I haven't seen dawn of the dead i have Mm -hmm. i haven't seen night of the living dead like i so so i have
1: seen dawn of the dead also josh
0: so what's my opinion worth like very little right Mm -hmm. but but my passion
1: (laughs) (laughs) you're still smug still smugging
0: yeah but yeah that's yeah it's not it's not called the 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 knowledgeable buds or mm-hmm. or the expert buds as mm-hmm. as as I've quoted before from the james bonding podcast where lovers i'm I'm a lover not an expert mm-hmm. so so I'm not an expert, but I love these films mm-hmm. and so uh adaptation so so what so the reason I got into that caveat is because I want to say like what a special example of an adaptation. Like one of the best. And one it's of like, the best. Okay, yeah, grain of salt, like what do I know? But mm-hmm. just from what little I know. And and here's what I know about the making of Scott Pilgrim. So the Scott Pilgrim books, there are six of them. Mm-hmm. They had not all been written when the movie was being made.
2: Oh, okay.
0: And so it's okay. I guess the other example you could tie into is like, it's kind of like game of Thrones mm-hmm. where like they were going to adapt something that like wasn't finished mm-hmm. and they worked with the guy, you know, mm-hmm. the creators of the show work, work with George R. R. Martin and they like talk about like where the story is going and you know what they can do the same and what they can do differently. And a lot of people, as I said, we're recording this May 18th, 2019. A lot of people not happy mm-hmm. with Game of Thrones as an adaptation or simply as a show.
1: If you don't right have now. dates memorized by the time you're listening to this, the the final episode
0: is tomorrow. Is tomorrow. Yeah. So we're after the sack of King's Landing, but we're before the final episode. Um, And uh, so, okay. So the point is that. It's a special adaptation because Edgar Wright making this film collaborated so closely with Brian Lee O'Malley, mm-hmm. the creator of the graphic <clears throat> novels, to give you some examples of how closely they collaborated so like you can see some of Brian Lee O'Malley's art in the movie like mm-hmm. there are there's there's at least i think two sequences where ramona the love interest um recalls something and it's Mm -hmm. visualized in the comics style and that's really his art also one of Um, my favorite moves
1: in a movie is to bring in animation to like tell a backstory yeah Yeah. totally
0: love that um they they did it in one of the Harry Potter movies and it kind of stood out as being weird. Um,
1: oh, that was one of my favorite parts of that movie. It's, <laughs> that yeah, that was actually explicitly what I was
0: referencing. Oh, that's great. Yeah. We're both <laughs> thinking of the Deathly Hallows. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cause, cause it was like, such oh, weird like,
1: animation too, but it was such right. like a beautiful way to tell that story.
0: Right. Yeah. Anyway. It's like, what if this looked cool? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what <laughs> it if like, it wasn't oh, just I Hermione kinda, kinda talking to I kind of want to see the whole movie like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So there's, there's a joke that is in both Scott Pilgrim, the film, there are a lot of jokes, but I'm thinking there's one joke in particular that's <laughs> there's in- There's only
1: one joke in the whole thing.
0: <laughs> there's one joke in particular among many that is in both the film and one of the graphic novels in mm-hmm. the same moment. And the joke is, it- so the premise is Scott Pilgrim falls in love with Ramona Flowers. In order mm-hmm. to date Ramona Flowers, he has to defeat her seven evil exes. Her seven uh, ex-boyfriends. Her seven evil exes.
1: Right, 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 right. And and
0: the reason is the the reason for that reference that we just made is that the fourth turns out to be a woman.
1: May Whitman. Uh. Uh.
0: Yes. Yeah. Uh. uh who? Her. Her. <laughs> yeah. Egg? Uh, and that's Arrested Development. Um. And uh. So. So when Scott realizes that that's one of her exes he's he's surprised Mm -hmm. and uh ramona says something like i went through a phase Mm -hmm. and then the ex is insulted and she's like a phase and scott pilgrim says you had a sexy phase (laughs) the line you had a sexy phase is in both the film and the book here's what's interesting edgar wright wrote that joke and <gasps> Brian Lee O'Malley uh-huh. read that in a draft of the script and thought that was so fun as funny that he asked Edgar <laughs> Wright, can I put that joke in the book? <laughs> so so it, it it's such a special adaptation because it it true it, it is truly a two way street mm-hmm. between the creator behind the thing being adapted and the creator doing the adaptation. I'll I'll point out one more thing. There's a shot in uh Scott Pilgrim where uh it, it it's a blink and you'll miss it sort of visual joke where uh he is at a thrift store because his girlfriend is shopping there and he's sitting on a couch in the background and mm-hmm. also on the couch is a sign that says do not sit. Yeah. And um the the lettering of that sign was done by Brian Leo Malley. Oh wow so that it would like match.
2: Uh-huh. like
0: the style of like how letters <laughs> look in the graphic novel yeah like, yeah so you know uh, so i'm talking about all the things i love right yeah. i'm talking about attention to detail i'm talking about references callbacks easter eggs like you know delight recognizing and whimsy whimsy joy um and and that kind of like oh when i rewatch this i get a hundred things that i didn't get on the previous viewing mm-hmm. And that compounds over and over and over again. <clears throat> Excuse me.
1: Can I say one more thing about this yeah. movie? Can you get yeah, your so. phone really quick?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh you sent me a picture of young Neil.
1: So the one more thing about the nostalgia with this movie is like I, I didn't go to high school. He went to my sister high school, but I hung out with him at the youth center where I ran shows. I went to somebody named I I knew somebody in high school named Neil who looks yeah. like young Neil. Young
0: Neil. Yeah. Can you
1: like can you agree that he looks like this person? <laughs>
0: He absolutely does, yeah, in that comparison (laughs) that you sent me, yeah. Um, Guys, like, Scott Pilgrim is so, like, it's stacked in just every way possible. Like, the cast is amazing, the jokes are amazing, the references, the Easter eggs, um, the music. So, like, Mm -hmm. gotta talk about the music in Scott Pilgrim, not just the fact that they adapted the songs as written in the graphic novel, but, like... Do you know the bands that they got to write the music? So like no. part of, part of the premise of Scott Pilgrim is like Scott's in a band and there are other bands that, mm-hmm. you, that, that they'll encounter. There's a battle of the band scene and then there are like multiple concerts that they go to. And like, so like each band has a real life band who wrote the music mm-hmm. and performed it. Or not not always performed it, but sometimes yeah. performed it. <clears throat> so um, the, all of Scott's band's music was written by Beck.
1: Right. Okay. I think I did know that.
0: And um, there's a, uh, a band where my favorite part of the movie is the third evil acts. And it's mm-hmm. when they go to a concert and Scott and Ramona realize too late that they... Both, they each have an ex who is in the band that they're going mm-hmm. to see, mm-hmm. and one of them is Brie Larson, and the other one is um, Brandon Ruth, I think, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly, and um, Captain Marvel and Superman, respectively, and mm-hmm. um, uh, and uh, and they perform a song, and that's by Metric. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a band in the Battle of the Bands called Crash and the Boys, mm-hmm. and part of the jo- the joke. Initially, is that they they perform two songs and they are each like two seconds long. Yeah. And Kieran Culkin's character yells out, it's not a race. (laughs) Um, Crash and the the Boys music was written by um, Broken Social Scene. Oh,
1: my God. My fucking heart. (laughs) My fucking heart. God damn that and,
0: band. And you know this better than anyone. There, There is a broken social scene on the soundtrack of Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Not an original song that they wrote for the film, mm-hmm. but one of their songs that was used in the film. Mm-hmm. And you know how, how effectively it's used because you were familiar with the song. It's called Anthem for a 16-year-old girl. 17- 17. <clears throat> 17-year-old girl. Thank you. And yes.
1: I, I also, I mean, I wept when they played that in the movie. Right.
0: Yeah. That is it's,
1: by far my favorite Broken Social Scene song and a
0: lot right. of people's. And it's tied in cinematically to this moment with a character who is a 17-year-old girl and they talk about that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cuz that's how the movie starts. The movie starts as like Scott is dating a 17-year-old and that's weird cuz uh-huh. he's like 23 and that ties into like the arrested development sort of theme. Wink, wink Mm -hmm. of, you know, Shaun of the Dead and and some of his other characters in other movies. Okay, we're, we're, I, I never want to move on from Scott Pilgrim. Of course. He has two more movies. So the next one completes the uh, Cornetto trilogy and it Mm -hmm. is called The World's End.
1: I don't know this at all.
0: You, so, so, oh yeah. So, so, So The World's End, I think, suffers from, I think it is the hardest of these movies to market. Mm. Because you kind of need to see it. It's like, not to say that it has a twist, but like, it's better that you don't know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, you can't like put a lot into the commercials and the trailer. Right. And yeah. so it's sort of vague. And so you sort of go like, eh, well, what is this movie? Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's, it's so if, if, uh, Shaun of the Dead was red and Hot Fuzz was blue, uh, the world's end is green. hmm. And, and that implies, uh, uh, aliens. Mm-hmm. And, and if you know what the Cornetto trilogy is, and you know that the third one's going to be green and it's going to be Simon Pegg and uh, and Nick Frost with a uh, uh, an extraterrestrial. Uh, you might go, uh, oh, I've seen that movie. It's called Paul. Uh-huh. Do you remember Paul? Yes. So Paul is not an Edgar Wright movie. Uh huh. But you might be confused and you might think it is because it stars Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Uh huh. And you if you're familiar with the Cornetto trilogy before it's over you might be expecting an alien. <laughs> uh-huh. <clears throat> I've never seen it, but it's like those two guys and it's like what if an alien was Seth Rogen? Like what yes. what if an alien came to work to earth and it was a stoner? Uh-huh. It sounds hilarious. <laughs> but um, uh, World's End is is a, a, a different film. Uh, did I say when it came out? It came out in 2013. So I okay. saw this. By this time, I was like fully on board, knew who Edgar Wright was. There's a new Edgar Wright movie. I'm excited just because it's the new Edgar Wright movie. And, he's, and he made Scott Pilgrim, and I love him for it. And so I went to the theater um, to see it in Ohio where I was for grad school. Um, and, uh, you know, I loved it. Uh, it totally delivered on, you know, what my expectations were. Um, this is where I think I get into some like hot take territory, some controversial Mm. opinion because like Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, like they've been around long enough. People remember them very fondly. They are like cult hits. Mm -hmm. World's End kind of came and went very quietly. Mm. Most people don't know it. Um... I think it's the best one. It, wow! It, I think I think it's the best of the three. Uh huh. Um, and part of the reason why is because of that change up that I was talking about before. How these these movies, there's as many times as you see these people get together to make a movie, it doesn't get stale. It stays fresh because they keep changing up what they're doing. And in mm-hmm. this one, Nick Frost is the straight man. Like, oh wow, ba- okay. Basically, everyone is in the cast is the straight man to Simon Pegg's character. Yeah. And it's really fun to watch because Simon Pegg is this kind of figure. It's another, it's big time arrested development. So Mm -hmm. you could say that like also uniting these three movies besides just, you know, what, uh, you know, who made them and, you know, their tone or whatever. It's also the subject matter of like not wanting to grow up and then being forced into extreme circumstances where you have to grow up very quickly. Mm -hmm. And so Simon Pegg plays this guy who is, um, like, uh, he's, he's a fuck up because he's an alcoholic and he, he doesn't, he doesn't want to grow out of the wild days of his youth going Ah. bar hopping. And so, uh, he gets his four friends together Um, on the pretense that like, it's going to be like, uh, sort of helping him in Mm -hmm. his recovery, but really he wants a reunion where they recreate the like epic pub crawl that they used to do in their youth. Yeah. And so they go back to this small sleepy town where they all you know grew up but they all moved away from Mm -hmm. and they're like gonna recreate the the bar crawl and he's forcing them into it and they don't want to do it yeah and then they and so part of the theme is like they go back and like oh like things have changed since they've been gone um and uh but there's a but there's this like conspiracy sort of like things have changed like what's really going on here you know and it's like it's it's um, you know, I've never seen any version of invasion of the body snatchers, but mm-hmm. I've heard of it. I know what it is. I know that that must be like a big influence on the plot of this movie. Cause that's basically what's going on is that mm-hmm. like everyone's sort of been replaced. Um, <clears throat> it's, uh, yeah, I, um, recommend watching it as I work and watching all these films, that's that's the end of the Cornetto trilogy, and that's so far the end of Edgar Wright's working relationship with Simon Pegg and Nick mm-hmm. Frost. And mm-hmm. so this is an interesting moment where it's like, okay, like they set out to make these three movies, they made them. He also did that great adaptation where he had a, a great collaborator in the guy who created the thing he was adapting. So he's
1: had like really strong collaborators so far with everything.
0: Exactly. And that is what makes this fifth and so far final film. So interesting uh-huh. is that it basically he, you know, okay. So if the Cornetto trilogy is deeply British as he yes. is and, uh, Scott Pilgrim is set in Toronto and I think filmed in Toronto. Yeah. Uh with his fifth movie, he like comes to America and like makes an American movie and he like it's basically like this is gonna be pure Edgar Wright. Like uh-huh. he's he's not gonna have a Simon Pegg, he's not gonna have a Brian Lee O'Malley, he's not adapting anything, and he's also uh-huh. I think I hope I'm getting this right, he's not co writing with anyone.
2: Uh-huh.
0: And he makes a movie that came out, as I said, in twenty seventeen, and that movie is called Baby Driver.
2: Oh. oh,
1: okay. Yeah. I have something I can wait. Let me just look at this very quickly. Okay. So while I'm looking this up, um, which should take but a moment. Um, and
0: while you're looking that up, I'll just point out. I've already pointed seen this, this out before. My point. I, I, I've pointed this out before, but either, you know, somebody listening to this might not have heard it or they might not remember Part of the career of Edgar Wright was he was supposed to direct Ant-Man, one of the Marvel movies that we talked about in the previous Marvel Cinematic Universe episode. And he left or he was fired as the director, but he, you know, co-wrote the script and he still has uh, credit for that. So he's a co-writer on Ant-Man, but his career was kind of sidelined for a moment because he was supposed to direct this thing and then never wound up doing it so mm. that cost him some time
1: okay so i was wrong actually my co-worker just had a baby shower and i um photoshopped her head on a bunch of baby themed movies
2: oh um
1: but i was thinking of million dollar baby <laughs> i put her head on the woman in million dollar baby i okay i know nothing about baby driver
0: great so um baby is driver, there a baby in it uh no okay um so 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 Baby Driver was sort of sold to me not by the trailer or the advertising but like when you're just reading online about like so and so is doing this next and here's okay. how you know what little we know about it. And it was sold to me as like Edgar Wright is going to do his comedic take on like a uh movie like The Transporter or like Fast and the Furious or something mm-hmm. like that. Like a funny uh uh action movie centered on uh car driving and racing Mm -hmm. um and i was very much picturing like a uh like vin diesel with a baby like having Mm -hmm. to protect a baby or something like that Mm -hmm. it's not diesel
2: with a baby (laughs) it it turns it turns
0: out there's no baby there's the, the the lead character is a driver and his nickname is baby
2: oh baby
0: and the title is a reference to there's a uh, Simon and Garfunkel song called Baby Driver and mm-hmm. he does unsurprisingly he uses that song it it's at the end of the movie it plays over the end of credits um so uh, Ansel Elgort uh plays the titular baby <laughs> Ansel. Um, and he's a, he's a young guy who um basically he was uh orphaned when he was a kid and then he sort of grew up on the streets and uh he liked to like jack cars and drive them recklessly. <laughs> like how you say
1: that, like he liked to uh this is know, all backstory video games. He liked to jack cars.
0: <laughs> Basically he's a kid who likes two things, right? Yeah. He likes to drive cars really well and he likes music. Mm-hmm. Those are his two things. And he's not very well socialized because right. his parents died and he didn't grow up in with like a peer group. Mm-hmm. He grew up like on the streets and then like getting like recruited by this like criminal underground, basically, because the, the he was recognized as like a prodigy when it comes to driving. And so he becomes a getaway driver mm-hmm. for uh, heist based criminals. Um, I've said music is very important to these movies. It's never been so important as in baby driver. Cause in baby oh, wow. driver, <clears throat> I used it when we were talking about voiceover in our, our last Marvel episode, mm-hmm. I used a, a word, um, diegetic.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, so, um, what's, what's important to baby driver is that a lot of the music has a diegetic source in mm. the movie because mm-hmm. he loves listening to music and right. he has a bunch of old iPods and uh-huh. he listens to music while he drives. And so the whole thing the whole movie it, it is almost like what I call a long form music video. Uh-huh. And that and and uh I coined that term uh uh not to pat myself on the back too much but what made me think of calling a movie that was a, a movie called The Secret Life of Walter Mitty Oh and yeah. I don't know if you saw that or if you remember, remember it th- but like I remember
1: it because I sure do remember reading that short story.
0: Okay, so I I'm not familiar with that, but I saw the movie and the movie like leans very heavily on its good soundtrack yeah. and so it's like kind of like watching a big music video and mm-hmm. um Baby Driver uh was act- if he was adapting anything when he was making Baby Driver, he was adapting a music video that he himself once directed (laughs) and you can watch this music video and there is a clip a very short clip from the music video that you see on a television in baby driver um and uh uh it's basically like he he came up with this idea that like uh in this music video uh we we see a getaway driver pull up everybody else gets out of the car and then instead of seeing the heist we stay with the getaway driver (laughs) while he just listens to the song in the car (laughs) um and while he's doing it he's not just listening he's sort of like lip syncing he's sort of dancing and he'll do he'll, he'll do these little things where he'll like He'll turn on the windshield wipers and it kind of goes with the beat of the song. Uh-huh. And so you're you, there's this clever synchronization of visuals to the 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 beat of the tempo, the 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 you know sounds of the song. Yeah. And that's that's what Baby Driver is is just se- is just sequence after sequence of he loves to listen to these songs and the action that you see, like the turns of the cars and the gunshots are all very neatly synchronized wow. to, like, the beats of the songs. Yeah. And, that's, and that's why Baby Driver was nominated for two Oscars that year. Uh-huh. And they were sound editing and uh-huh. sound mixing. And it <laughs> definitely deserved at least one of those Oscars. And uh, sadly for my ballot did not uh receive either of them. Uh. So, okay, so I I could talk a lot more about Baby Driver, but we're really running out of time and I haven't talked about two okay, I haven't talked about the like the visual style of all of these movies and that's, you know, besides the jokes and the references and the easter eggs, what makes Edgar Wright so special as a director? It's one of these things that like He jars me into, like, recognizing, like, that, like, oh, a a director might have, like, a signature style Mm -hmm. that you can, like, see on screen and go, like, either that's Edgar Wright or, like, they're ripping off Edgar Wright. Right, yeah. Like, I, I, I saw the movie Game Night and there are some transitions in Game Night where it's, like, that is right out of like Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz. Uh, uh-huh. He he does this thing one like one of his signatures is he he does and, and by the way I I rewatched Shaun of the Dead this morning with commentary on. Oh. And he he used the phrase uh crash zoom. So so one one of the signatures that you can see from the start in Shaun of the Dead is transitions will happen with these crash zooms where he described it as like he was lifting it from, like an action movie, like a James Cameron movie or something, where like they're like building up their arsenal before like a big fight, and so there will be like crash zooms on like you know guns being piled up. So it's uh-huh. like you know crash zoom on on guns, crash zoom on like putting on body armor, crash yes. zoom, like shot. Yes, like, I know shot, exactly what like, you're talking like, about. Three yeah. shots right in a row where they like punch you with like zooming in on like an action taking place but like the joke in Shaun of the Dead is that it's being done over mon- with mundane things like right. spreading jelly on toast or uh-huh. like fr- flushing the toilet uh-huh. so like that that is indicative of his his like the way that his movies look and move they mm-hmm. like they they put other comedies to shame because like they 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 make you look at other movies and just go, like, th- like there is nothing interesting about the way that this is shot. Like, shooting it is, like, just a vehicle for, like, how easily can we, like, show, like, who's in this scene. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's just all, like – it's, like, how I used to think of writing. Like, one of the things that has, like, really held me back as a writer – is that like i had this like spocky and logic brain where i was like <laughs> the point of language is like the 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 point of writing is is getting information across and like the right. point of of writing is just like communicating your point and then like it was years into studying writing that i started to figure out that like even though i'm not writing poetry like mm-hmm. maybe part of the point is like picking language that like looks and sounds neat and interesting (laughs) yeah yeah and not just like an image can be information but also it can be like the like the words that you pick and like oh it's like you know it's it's kind of a like a neat trick the way that you like put these two words that you wouldn't normally go together Mm -hmm. together and maybe Mm -hmm. that's not the 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 most obvious you know clear way of conveying the information of like right. there's a chair in the room but like it's like sonically it's 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 got some panache to it or something so like that's the difference between like an Edgar Wright movie and like a lot of comedies where like <clears throat> the way that a lot of comedies are shot it's just like it's like baseline it's like information mm-hmm. and the way his movies are shot it's like Things are framed so that like things will enter frame and like it's funny. It's funny in Shaun of the Dead that like Shaun gets a phone call at work mm-hmm. and you don't see the person handing the phone to him. Like yeah. it's funny that the phone just enters the frame uh-huh. in the hand of someone you never see. Like yeah. that's, that in itself is a joke rather than just like the dialogue being mm-hmm. the jokes. So that's what's so special. The other thing that I wanted to talk about is meta modernism.
2: Mm my god.
0: Have you, have you heard of metamodernism? No. <laughs> this is such a huge thing to break off when we're almost at 90 <laughs> minutes in. But just the Cliff Notes version. I forget how I this was pretty recent, but I forget how I first heard the term metamodernism. Uh-huh. But like, okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna summarize this and 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna summarize modernism and postmodernism to set the table for metamodernism and uh-huh. this might this might be a good reflection of maybe how I failed in my education or how my education failed me or, or, yeah. or but like basically in, and correct me you know add to this if you if you have something to add or correct me if you think I'm wrong but basically like modernism it's the 20th century now yes. and uh uh industrialization is rampant and and cities are growing rapidly and um uh we 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 think that we can't rely on the the classical structures of old mm-hmm. and and so ezra pound says make it new and that's yes. like the mantra of modernism postmodernism it's the later 20th century And, um, modernism was too sincere. Yes. And so postmodernism is all about irony and, uh, deconstruction.
1: Yes. And, and also like my big takeaway from postmodernism is like, it doesn't really matter what the artist intended.
0: Sure. Yeah. That's part of it as well. Um, now, OK, we're at a moment where there are some people who think that they recognize that, like, we are we have started to be post postmodernism mm-hmm. and 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 some people call it that post postmodernism. But a, another term for that is metamodernism. Mm-hmm. And and here's here's how the Wikipedia starts. Metamodernism is a proposed set of developments in philosophy, aesthetics, and culture which are emerging from and reacting to postmodernism. One definition characterizes metamodernism as mediations between aspects of both modernism and postmodernism. Um, and then scrolling down to a part of this uh, Wikipedia entry called the Metamodernist Manifesto.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Class, you know, I have not read it but I've read the Wikipedia on it. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I'm putting it in the podcast. Here we go. <laughs> in 2011, Luke Turner published the Metamodernist Manifesto as, quote, an exercise in simultaneously defining and embodying the meta metamodern spirit, unquote. And then um, how does he uh, define it? Um, sc- scrolling down slightly. Turner proposed metamodernism as, quote, the mercurial condition between and beyond irony and sincerity, naivete and knowingness, relativism and truth, optimism and doubt, in pursuit of a plur- plurality of disparate and elusive horizons, unquote, and concluded with a call to, quote, go forth and oscillate, unquote. Oh, so, my God.
1: So- I that's I feel like that's I get it
0: right so it's like, it's like like that's
1: how I that's the internet that's a meme
0: exactly that's why that's why meta modernism. that's why I felt like I had to pull it into this conversation is that like I think it's a really useful term and a really useful concept for like a lot of the media that we consume now uh-huh. is like It's, it's, it's all about plurality instead of uh, the, uh, instead of binaries, right? And, and about like, you can, you can contradict yourself and like, and, and, uh go forth and oscillate is the is like the make it new of this movement. And and so I think it's this applies to what I was talking about, the tone of like the shifting tone and the genre mashup uh-huh. of Edgar Wright movies where it's like it's a comedy and it's really funny and it wants to make you laugh, but at the same time it's going to go to serious dark places and it wants you to go to those places and that's not a contradiction of yes. like that it's a comedy. Like it's both and like life is both. I think that this applies to a lot of the stuff I like. The primary thing I think of when I think of metamodernism is Rick and Morty. I think yes. what Dan Harmon does is like deeply entrenched in this like metamodernist, like, you know, there's there, there's something beyond the idea that of moral relativism where like, no, there's no objectivity and no, there's no absolute truth, but also modern moral relativism is not the answer. Yeah. Either. Yeah. Um, and if you want an example of someone who is doing intentionally meta-modernist work, so like we can read, you know, uh, these uh, 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 media in, in, you know, through a meta-modernist. Lens, Like I can, I can apply that to Eggerite and Rick and Morty, et cetera. But for an example of like, oh, you can actually say that like the artist's intention is that like they want to embody metamodernism with their yeah. work. Look no further than Shia LaBeouf. Oh. This is how the Wikipedia continues. In 2014, the manifesto became the impetus for LaBeouf, Ronco and Turner's collaborative art practice. After Shia LaBeouf reached out to Turner after encountering the text, with the trio embarking on a series of meta-modern performance projects exploring connection, empathy, and community across digital and physical platforms. That makes so, me
1: love Shia LaBeouf more than I ever, actually, I already had a tenderness for him. And
0: If you've ever wondered in recent years about Shia LaBeouf and why is he wearing a bag on his head that says i'm not famous anymore and why is he filming himself in a alone in a movie theater watching all shia labeouf movies (laughs) chronologically uh one you know back to back to back um that's that's his uh uh reaction to the meta-modernist manifesto and his his performance art that is uh, uh trying to embody that new tradition wow so um that's, yeah, that's one read on the Edgar Wright movies. Okay, I said that I was going to rank them. Rank them. Here, here's my ranking of them. Okay. Number one, my favorite Scott Pilgrim versus The World. Yes. Number two, The World's End. The okay. Final one in the Cornetto trilogy. Number three, Baby Driver.
2: Okay. Uh huh.
0: Number four, Shaun of the Dead. Oh. Number five, Hot Fuzz. Okay but uh i love all of these movies mm-hmm. and uh to put hot fuzz number 5 out of 5 it it kind of reminds me of um you know i i uh i frequent the uh, letterboxd where the, the i the, my movie reviews go and i follow a few people and my favorite person to follow on letterboxd as well as twitter is uh this uh artist and comedian branson Reese. Mm -hmm. And I I think it was Branson Reese. uh, Sorry if I'm misattributing this, but I think it was him who wrote a review of the Coen brothers movie burn after reading. Mm -hmm. And his review just said, imagine making this movie and it's not even regarded as being in your top 10 (laughs) (laughs) movies that you've made. And like, and and like that, that's indicative of, of of like the Coen brothers career, right? Mm -hmm. Is that they like that, Uh, And and that's, that's, that's partially how I feel about Edgar Wright is that like everything, all five of these films are masterpieces Mm -hmm. and imagine making hot fuzz and it's, and it's my least favorite (laughs) (laughs) of of all your movies. It's like, that's, that does not tell the whole story, you know? Yeah. All right. So we're, we're, we're at the point in time when, when we should be done or over or at least wrapping up. Bef- before we call it quits, you have any mm. c- comments or questions?
1: No, I don't think so. I think you did a really good job, oh. and I'm I'm glad that I knew more about this than I thought I did.
0: Well, thank you, and um, yeah, go forth and oscillate and watch uh, Edgar Wright movies, uh, as as I will be doing. And um, yeah, I uh, I hope that uh, you you enjoyed indulging me in this conversation, and, oh, and I, I hope that. Hope that you'll a- appreciate this filmography as as I did, and and gosh darn it, you know maybe I will take these five films to that desert island because <laughs> maybe I do like even Hot Fuzz more than Spider Man Homecoming or or Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I, yeah, I don't know what's what's imp- what's important. What's more important? Variety when you're when you're taking those films or or the just. Pound for pound, like the the number of of jokes and the and the amount of joy at, at that you'll get, like yeah. a sort of ratio of like of like you know things that you can appreciate to like minutes of a film, like that's right. that's something that Edgar Wright movies have like more than almost anything else. Um, tough decision, but, uh, but, uh, one, one that I have, you won't be having
1: to plan to go to a desert
2: Island anytime soon. One
0: one that I have the rest of my life to, uh, to figure (laughs) out. And that's, that's the thing about rankings. As much as I love to do them, they're, they're never final. Yep. So just like the podcast will go on forever. (laughs) This is, (laughs) this is not the end. Uh, and, uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk again soon.
1: We'll talk again. We'll see you next week, goslings. Love you, bye.
0: Love you too. Bye. Will is on Twitter and letterboxed at youngest of One, and his website
1: is williamhoffacker.com.
0: You can find Liz at exclamate on Instagram, at exclamate underscore on Twitter, or on her website, Elizabeth Morris Our website is smugbuds.com and the podcast is at SmugBuds on Twitter and Instagram.